So this morning, we're, uh, we'll begin with a little bit of a reprise, just a, a little bit of a restatement of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're talking about what life looks like in the kingdom of God. What is it that we demonstrate to those who are around us as children of God? And, and remember, word one is always worship. We, we demonstrate who we are as children of God by continually worshiping him, not just on Sunday mornings, but through the week, developing a, a personal life of worship as well as a corporate life of worship uh, keeps us focused on the one that we serve. The second thing we want to say about life in the kingdom of God is that Christians are called to live faithfully in a network of relationships in the community of faith and beyond. In order to do that, we probably need some training. And training is word two. Worship is word one. Training is word, word two. I'm not sure still it's the best second word, but it is code for living faithfully in the network of relationships we've been given. Living faithfully in relationships is something we don't do very well and in some cases don't know how to do. We would rather just run away when there is conflict or difficulty than steward or nurture the relationships that we're in. So there's a level of training that is needed for us to understand the goal and a level of training required to do the thing we're recalled to do. Two weeks ago, I spoke about the fact that there is a necessary humility on our part if we're ever going to get the training that we need. If we're not humble enough to admit that we need to work in a particular area, we're never gonna get the help to work in those areas. Last week I spoke about the need to relinquish the pursuit of being in control of every aspect of our lives. We have been given power, but we are not in control. The areas that we're exploring in this series are all areas where we're continually tempted to cross over lines from acceptable expressions of our Christian identity into areas where that identity is corrupted or indulged to an extent that injures the kingdom of God. And this week, I really have a very simple question to ask you. It's a question that I'm sure you've considered consciously or subconsciously, and the question is, how much stuff is enough? You, you know the bumper stickers I'm tempted to quote, right? I don't even have to quote them. We have basic human needs. Jesus himself indicates that the Father knows exactly what we need. I mean, he is the creator after all, so we assume he knows us that well. And we remember these words from the Gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter. This is 12.22 from Luke. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying a single, by worrying can add a single hour to your life? 
Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This is a very specific promise of provision for children of the king. It's fair to ask ourselves, if we have a promise of provision, how do our needs get met? And if you think about it for a moment, you'll realize that there are quite a few different ways that our needs get met. We seek his kingdom above all. It's a matter of priorities. We, we work. We carry our end of this bargain. We live in a community of sharing and caring. We carefully consider our expectations and the origins of those expectations. We refuse to overindulge ourselves, otherwise we cannot care for others as we ought. And we pursue contentment. It's an easy six-point outline, right? I don't have that many points. Philippians 4.11 says, this is Paul speaking to the Philippian church, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Verse 19 of Philippians 4. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I guess I want to start by asking the question, how do we pursue contentment in a day where our entire society is driven by advertising dollars, consumption, planned obsolescence, and image conscious social comparisons. How do we discern the difference between needs and wants? And, and what are our actual needs? Well, the Father knows we have needs, so we must have some. I think, I think that's pretty simple. Uh, we have physical needs, right? We have needs for things like food and shelter and clothing, and God meets these in several different ways. He makes it possible for you to work, provides a job, provides health, the potential to get training. All of these things are gifts from God. Some of us are confused enough to believe that work is a curse to be avoided at all costs, rather than understanding that the ability to work is God's gift to us, and it's part of the way he provides for us. God also provides family and friends to assist us when things are difficult. He at times uses the church or compassionate agencies or governments to supply specific needs. He moves by the Holy Spirit 
believers to meet the needs of others. In fact, you may be the method that God uses to meet the physical needs of some others. That's a cool thing to consider, isn't it? That God may be announcing the coming of the kingdom by the way he invites you to care for others who are near you. The Father knows we have emotional needs as well. Those emotional needs include relational, mental, and safety and stability needs. God's family provides the companions that we need as we travel together toward heaven. We are not reborn into isolation. We are reborn into a family. That means friendships. If you're not finding friendship in the church, reach your hand out. Reach your hand out. I I freely confess that in the church of Jesus Christ, folks who are extroverted sometimes have an advantage over folks who are introverted. It sometimes becomes easier for extroverted folks to find friends than it does for introverted folks. If that's the case for you and you're an introverted folk, begin to pray earnestly that God will show you who your friends ought to be in the body of Christ. Because remember, the Father knows that you have need in this area. You may not need 30 friends, but you need one to pray with you, and to encourage you, and begin asking the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit populates your mind with a name, trust that it's not up to you to make that friend, but that the Holy Spirit's already gone before you. And he is beginning to build friendships in the congregation. We have to be sensitive to the needs for fellowship and friendship that are around us so that we all can be connected in this family of God that we've been given as provision by the Father. God promises to be present within us to help provide a foundation of safety and security for us. He promises his presence to us daily. God's Holy Spirit seeks to actively guide us away from things that would injure us, conspiring, well, to keep us moving in a healthy direction all the time. God provides our spiritual needs by pursuing us, by saving us, by leading us through transformational experiences, by faithfully pointing out sin in our lives and reminding us of his love for us. You say, are you saying that God's work to point out sin in our lives is something pleasant that we should embrace? I'm not saying it's pleasant, but I'm saying you should embrace it. Any friend who helps you see the error of your way is a true friend. Anyone who enriches your life by saying, you know, if you hit that pothole out by Main and Center, it will damage your car. Don't drive there. I mean, those are the friends we need, right? The friends that are going to help us see the error of our ways, help protect us from danger. The Holy Spirit functions to remind us of sin in our lives so we can avoid it and live in the shalom, the peace, the health, the well-being of God. His word reminds us continually of our identity in Christ. So as we read the word, the Father helps us remember who we are and whose we are. 
The sacraments remind us of his love for us. Every time we, we eat the bread and, and drink the juice, we, we see the visual demonstration of the lengths that God will go to let us know that he loves us. We should feel loved continually because of the extravagant love that God has for us. Those are our needs and some of the ways God supplies them, but our problem often lies in discerning what we need as opposed to what we want. Figuring out whether something is a want or a need might be complex. Some of the questions I ask myself are, can I survive without this? If so, it may be a want. Can I, can I procrastinate this purchase without endangering my life? Then it's probably a want. How did I discover that I needed this thing? Did I learn about it on television? Did a friend demonstrate it to me? It might be a want. Most of us, if we take a minute or two to consider, really can figure out the difference between needs and wants. And it's not my intention today to say that we shouldn't ever buy anything unless it's a need. But when does indulging my wants become a substitute for developing rich relationships and fulfilling my purpose in Christ? When do these two come in conflict? I mean, we joke about things like this. You've heard someone say, I was a little depressed so I took myself out shopping. Think with me about that innocent sounding statement for a minute. Is there something in the act of acquiring that helps me feel better about myself and the world? And if so, what, what do I think about that? I mean, how do you evaluate a statement like that? If one of our central questions as Christians is, how much stuff is enough? and that ought to be one of our central questions, then what does it mean when the act of acquiring in itself can make us feel better? I sometimes wonder if the pleasure I get in acquiring the newest, the latest, and the best is part of my enemy's plan to keep me addicted to the newest, the latest, and the best. Is, is that an addiction for us? I conveniently left my iPhone in the office while I preached this particular sermon. I did bring this watch though that reminds me of Dick Tracy. Do you have a Fitbit? You know, do you remember the comic strip Dick Tracy back a thousand years where, where this was science fiction then? And now I've only had 1.3 thousand steps so far today. But I did buy it on Amazon Prime Day when the price was low. And I now wear it reminding myself about the question, how much stuff is enough? What part of my need to acquire makes it impossible for me to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in meeting the physical needs of others? 
And does accumulating a great heap of possessions really make us feel good or better or more secure? Or does it just push aside the feelings of insecurity to another time? And I get this momentary high from possessing, but I'm not really satisfied because I'm not pursuing the relationships and meaning in the kingdom of God. I guess I'm tiptoeing up to the idea that contentment ought to be able to be achieved independently from a great stash of possessions or a full pantry or an overflowing closet. I mean, isn't that what Paul is saying in this Philippians 4 passage? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We've quoted that verse a thousand times, haven't we? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And we, we say that at the bottom of Mount Everest thinking I've got to claim this, but it sounds like Mount Everest really is finding contentment apart from possessions. Maybe that is our Mount Everest. How to become content in the web of relationships we've been given to. Relationships with the Father, the Son and the Spirit, relationships with one another in the kingdom of God, and relationships with our neighbors beyond that. I think God is calling me to be content with the provisions I currently have, and even those I do not have. In my family, we say a blessing before every meal. It usually includes some statement of thanks for the provisions that God brings to us. Once you affirm that God is providing for you, and there's lots of folks who don't affirm that, but once you do affirm that God is providing for you, that idea leads to several other ideas. The provision that God gives for you or gives to you is not only for your benefit but for the benefit of others. All of Paul's comments here in Philippians 4 are in response to an offering that the Philippians sent to him. And while he's grateful for the fact that they shared their provisions with him, he's telling them he's not content because they shared their offering. He's learned contentment apart from that. But he's grateful for the demonstration of the work of the Spirit in their lives that this offering represents. However, if the Philippians are all caught up in providing for their own security by amassing possessions, you might wonder if the provision that God gave them for Paul ever gets to Paul. Does he ever have his needs met if the Philippians don't respond to the work of the Spirit in their lives? I think the second thing that comes to me as I consider this passage is that I don't really know what things will end up providing security for me because I don't know what tomorrow will hold. 
You know the story of the man in the Gospels who pulls in a big crop, it's bigger than his barns can hold, so he builds all new barns, and then as soon as the barns are done, he dies. And so he expended all this money and effort to, to contain his possessions to no purpose. I can't guarantee my own health. I can't guarantee my own security. No matter how much cash I invest against future need, when I am obsessed with making sure that I'll always have enough, I guarantee you that endeavor leads to isolation, to fruitlessness, to loneliness, and the inability to be generous. I think that's what Peter was saying last week in the passage that we read. Fruitlessness comes from pursuing the wrong objectives. I've been thinking this week a good bit about possessions, as you can imagine, and I'm wondering, um, if fire broke out in your house, what's the first thing you grab? I, I don't know. It's something about being a pastor, you think in these kind of terms, you think about funerals, you think about disasters, you think about how to respond to them all the time. I've thought about this question for years. What, what would you grab? What's the first thing you grab? And in my house, for many years, this has been the thing, okay? Uh, if you know the Whitney's, you know that since before we were married, we began collecting Christmas ornaments, okay? And you can read the history of our lives through the ornaments that we have. We have all the baby's first Christmas ornaments, pictures of the family. We, we like the homemade ornaments best. Our, we have more ornaments that we can put on anymore. I have, I have this ornament here, which is this little uh, dough-made dough tin soldier, and this says Mrs. Whitney on the back of it. It's between Nancy and my mom from before we were married. So this one's about 40 years old now, and it's been taped together on the back. It's about to fall apart, but I mean, these are the kind of ornaments that we have. We have ornaments from every church we pastor, from famous friends. We, here's, here's the Whitney's ornament from uh, Henniker, New Hampshire, 2009. Our, our lives are, are caught up in these ornaments. Here's, here's the guy the guy from across the street in New Hampshire where we planted a church uh, who started to come to our church plant. Never heard of the church in the Nazarene. Both of his sons right now are attending Olivet Nazarene University. He made us this Merry Christmas 2004 from Susan and Paul and Troy and Travis. So, so these are really, really important to me and to Nancy. Who are they going to be important to 20 years from now. I mean, if you have kids the age of my kids, 27, 25, you know, they don't really as much care about some of this stuff that we do. This is, this is our story, and it's partly their story, and when we die, they may go back and grab one or two of these things, but the rest of these things they're going to the dumpster. It's, it's hard for me to contend with that idea that, that the possessions that I valued most, that I've, that I've saved for a lifetime, who's gonna want your Hummel collection? 
We get caught up in these things that we own. And we feel, pursue, we feel compelled to pursue the gaining of more. We, we have more ornaments now than we can put on any Christmas tree. What's the point of that? And when the dearest things to us are our possessions, we've become fruitless and ineffective in the kingdom of God. Because really we're given to one another for relationship. We're given to one another to care for one another, to be used by God to provide for one another, to reverence one another. And somehow we've gotta find a way to get possessions in their right place so they don't make us fruitless. Because I don't want to get to the end of my life and discover that I was useless to God because I was absorbed by something else. I remember when I was a child uh, singing a hymn that went something like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. You can sing it. Than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. We, we sing this hymn even today, don't we? Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. You don't have to pursue the possessions. But if you're gonna live as a citizen of the kingdom of God with integrity, it will involve trusting him to provide what you need and receiving from the Holy Spirit instructions about how to disperse the provisions he blesses you with so that you can live to the glory of God. Would you stand with me while we pray? After this prayer, we'll sing a song together. And if while we're praying, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about your relationships to your stuff. 
or your lack of attention to relationships with others. Make promises to God and invite his Holy Spirit to provide course correction. He's anxious to do so. He's faithful to assist us to live as children of the kingdom with integrity. Heavenly Father, in a world that bombards us with advertisements to convince us we need more and the latest, we confess that we are influenced at times by that. In an uncertain day where we feel the increasing need to provide for our own stability, to rely on our own devices, we confess that we succumb to that temptation. Forgive us, Lord. Fix our eyes on you. Show us again your provision. Liberate us from our addictions to stuff and enable us to live for your glory, demonstrating to all who would see the freedom that is ours in your kingdom. We ask this by the mercy of Christ. Amen. May the image of Christ be reflected in your faces as the Holy Spirit works through you to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand. To the glory of God now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.